All right, welcome into a midweek edition of Designated for Assignment. I'm Josh Goldberg, and uh, yeah, usually we do this at the end of a week, kind of recap what was, but felt as though with the trade deadline in the rearview mirror, just kind of put out a quick one, recap what happened, what didn't happen, where the Blue Jays are as we head into the stretch run of the season. And uh, we did an episode on Sunday, and we recapped what had happened that afternoon, the trade with the St. Louis Cardinals for Jordan Hicks. And we talked about that. So we don't need to really dive too much back into that. We can sort of touch on how it looks in the grand scheme of things with all the moves, but it's really just uh bizarre that the only moves the blue Jays made at the deadline or in the lead up to the deadline this year were three separate trades with the St. Louis Cardinals. Just very odd that it ended up working out that way. All the players that they acquired fill a need, fill a role. You look at uh, uh, Henesis Cabrera. He's been really good up until the Tuesday night game against the Orioles where he got hit around a little bit. He had been excellent. So that trade early on has looked pretty good. Hicks made his debut in that game as well. Didn't look particularly good. Hadn't pitched in a while. He's had this weird thing where he's pitched worse in mop-up, low-leverage situations than high-leverage or or important situations, so I'm not really going to read a tremendous amount. You could quibble with putting him in in the first place when you're in the middle of a long stretch without an off day, but he hadn't pitched in more than a week, so at some point, a guy's got to get some work, so I'm not really going to be too hung up on that. And then the, the final trade was the deal for Paul DeYoung shortstop from the Cardinals for a, you know, a 24 year old reliever who had just been promoted to double a, they didn't really pay much. DeYoung's got a couple of club options. I think next year's for 12 and a half million with a $2 million buyout. The likelihood of that getting picked up is very low unless he tears the cover off the ball. I think Ross Atkins admitted that they made that move in reaction to Bo Bichette's knee injury, which makes sense because they needed a shortstop. You just cannot have Santiago Espinal as your everyday shortstop for however long Bo Bichette is out. We saw it on Tuesday. He just hasn't had a good year in any regard. Uh, usually his calling card has been his defense and his ability to make contact. And his defense really has not been good this year. It's been bafflingly bad honestly you you look he's just hasn't made plays that he routinely has made in the past and offensively basically since the first half of last season he's just been poor uh at the plate and you just at a premium position like that you need a little bit more he's in the eighth percentile uh Santiago Espinal and outs above average that's just not going to cut it at shortstop and Paul DeYoung is one of the better defensive shortstops in the league. He's in the 97th percentile. I know that there's some noise with metrics like that, but uh, I think that the eye test can oftentimes back that up. And your eyes probably tell you that Espinal hasn't had a particularly good defensive year. And if you had watched the Cardinals for any length of time, you would probably say, oh yeah, Paul DeYoung is a very good defensive player and has been largely a very good defensive player in his career. Offensively, he's not terrific. He's been below average his in his career. He hasn't had an average or better season, I believe, since 2019. He's hitting lefties well this year. 
like 20, at least 25% better than league average against lefties. His career numbers against lefties leave a lot to be desired. So is this just small sample size noise potentially, but he helps raise the floor for however long Bichette is out. And I'll admit, I'm sure I probably wasn't the only one who thought this, that uh, when Bichette pulled up, I wasn't, you know, I, I generally hate the, oh, well, he's out for the season, the Twitter doctors. You don't know shit, to be honest. Unless you're a, an actual trained medical professional, you watching a replay. And even then, you know, without examining that person, you really don't know. So people that be telling me, oh, yeah, pack it up. He's done for the season. We'll see him um, in March or whatever, February for spring training. That's a torn ACL. You know, it's not. who knows they're still a little bit murky on the details it sounds like there's some some patellar tendon issue no nothing torn no structural damage some inflammation or no significant structural damage that's an important i think detail to sift through maybe there is some structural damage the bottom line is we don't really know what the timetable is is he going to be out uh, through the rest of the weekend, is he going to be out for a week, two weeks, a month? He hasn't been placed on the injured list as of this recording on Wednesday morning. They're kind of going a man down. I'm fine to backdate an IL stint if it ends up coming to that. I'm going to give him the time because he's been your best player this year. He's your most important offensive player. You know, the lineup hasn't been great even with him, and it's particularly lean without him. So, you know, DeYoung will come in and play every day at shortstop for as long as Bichette is out. I think he's already in the top five on the team in home runs. He's got 13 home runs this season. That kind of illustrates where things are uh, as a club in terms of power production, because a guy that hasn't had a particularly good offensive year coming in and being one of your you know, primo offensive or power hitters is a little bit disconcerting. You know, Danny Jansen's been awesome. He has a decent chance, honestly, at this point to lead the club in home runs. He's got 15. Bichette and Vladdy are tied for the team lead with 17. Chapman's got 14. Springer's got 13. Yeah, he would be tied for fifth with George Springer in home runs with 13. So we'll see what DeYoung uh, has to offer. I, I put this out there yesterday. It was a tough market. We saw there was not a lot of seismic activity at the deadline. It's always, if that's your expectation, I feel like you're sort of setting yourself up for somewhat of a disappointment. But this was clearly not a strong buyer's market. The Astros got Justin Verlander, but that was a unique situation where the Mets were willing to pay a huge amount of money to get rid of him for better prospects the same way that they did with Max Scherzer. Like the, I thought that the Jays needed another bat that was capable of playing in the outfield that could ideally do some damage against left-handed pitching and potentially also be decent against righties. You know, some of the options that were out there, Tommy Pham goes to the Diamondbacks for not a huge return, a de- decent prospect, nothing special there from uh, the Diamondbacks. Mark Canna was another one that went to the Brewers. There was clearly some smoke with Teoscar Hernandez and a possible reunion. I'm not really sure what the Mariners are doing. I know that they're 
within a few games of the hunt when it comes to a wild card spot, but they kind of offloaded some pieces. They traded Paul Seawald, their closer to the Diamondbacks. It was just a, a weird deadline. They weren't really buying. They weren't hard selling, but I guess the the recent few days of their results changed their mind and they decided to pull Teoscar off the market. That would have made a lot of sense as not necessarily an everyday player, but somebody who could bat against lefties, pinch hit, you know, maybe if other guys are scuffling, play against righties a little bit more as well. But, you know, that didn't happen. I thought Fan made a ton of sense. I thought Canna would have made a ton of sense. None of these guys are earth shattering moves that are going to totally transform the outlook of your ball club. But, you know, I, I just, I think that the deadline is an opportunity if you can't make foundational seismic moves that you're shoring up areas of weakness or deficiency uh, across the roster. And the Blue Jays didn't really do that. Uh, They're still looking at Kevin Biggio and Santiago Espinal as some of their depth options when guys are needing a day off or somebody's injured. And that to me is not going to hack it for a team like this. You look at those guys numbers i know bgo has been better uh, of late really the last couple of months since a horrible start to the year but his season-long numbers are still bad he's still 89 wrc plus he's striking out the the worst rate of his career he's walking the lowest rate of his career he's not somebody in a big situation if you're looking at the bench and and you feel as though there's not much else out there and you go to him in a pinch hit opportunity against a right-handed pitcher. I don't love that situation. Uh, same way. If you're going with a lefty and Santiago Espinal is a, is your pinch hit type of guy. I don't love that either because of the way that he has performed. So, you know, you want to be as deep and as versatile as you possibly can be down the stretch and ideally into the postseason. and the blue Jays, I, I don't think, you know, accomplished that, there are mitigating factors. It takes two to tango when it comes to trades. And and um, obviously, it, there wasn't really a lot of moves out there, it seemed like. It was just a difficult market. So you have to t- definitely take that into consideration. But all in all, I was left somewhat underwhelmed by three trades w- with the Cardinals. I understand like, they gave up a legit return for a rental reliever in Jordan Hicks. That was an area that they needed to shore up. And I like that trade. I have no issues with that trade, but it just feels like, you know, they went in and then for whatever reason, they didn't like some of the fits or they weren't prepared to pay pay the price for other needs on the roster or a need like I'm talking about. And it just feels like, you know, you're somewhat of a half measure. You didn't go all the way in and, Maybe this team doesn't deserve all-in moves, but they're in a playoff spot. They're firmly within a window to win. They made win-nail moves in the offseason, adding a bunch of veterans. It just feels like a somewhat of a missed opportunity. I don't think it's going to be the difference between making the playoffs, not making the playoffs, going on a run or not going on a run if you get there. The bottom line is, if you had brought Tommy Pham in, if you had brought Tay Oscar Hernandez back in, Mark Hanna, whatever, whoever it was, 
you know, those guys aren't going to be the difference between racking up wins or, or piling up losses. You look at the existing group here, they have to be better. And they haven't been, by and large, this season. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is in a two-for-15 funk on this homestand. George Springer doesn't have a hit in his last 34 at-bats. He's one away from tying the franchise mark for futility. I think it's Danny Jansen and Ed Sprague both went 35 at-bats without a hit. And his at-bats are bad. There's a lot of bad swings. You know, it, it's just, it's clearly something that has really festered. And it, the Blue Jays just are not the same team with, uh, you know, a, a pop gun George Springer. A pop gun. He, a, a, a George Springer who can't hit right now. And, you know, as long as that continues to some degree and, and bows out of the lineup, you look up and down right now, the, the only hitters that would inspire some level of thought or fear or lack of confidence, whatever you want to call it, when looking at the Blue Jays lineup are probably Whit Merrifield and Danny Jansen. And then you look up and down the rest of the lineup and there's not really anyone that is concerning you that much with the way that they're performing right now. Vladdy, no. Springer, no. Kirk's had some better moments of late, but still no. Belt hit a home run on Tuesday, but, you know, you're taking your chances. Chapman, you know, is capable, but there's still some some swing and miss that you would like to see less of. Varsho, we know what the deal is. You know, Kevin Kiermeyer has been fine of late, but uh, nothing too intimidating there. It's not a particularly deep or imposing lineup right now with the way that a lot of these guys are performing. And that's worrisome because you look at where they are right now. You know, they're one in 14 against the Orioles and Red Sox this season. They're seven and 22 against the division. I think they're playing at over a hundred win pace against everyone else. And that's great. And that's the reason that they're in a playoff spot, but they've got a fair number of games down the stretch against teams in the division against good teams. They do have a stretch late in August and into early September where they're playing the Royals and I believe the Nationals and the Rockies and the A's. There are opportunities to bank some wins, but you're not really going to get to where you need to go if you continue performing with this level of futility against teams within your division. And I don't know at this point, is it psychological? It just feels like, especially against the Orioles, the first two games of the series, they get down early. And then it's just, even if they scrape back, you know, the bullpen struggled in one of those games and the offense hasn't been there. And, you know, when you lose 14 of 15 to two teams, there has to be something else, right? Like luck going against you. You think about Monday night uh, when it's a close game down the stretch. Whit Merrifield hits the ball into the gap. Austin Hayes makes a dive and grab that probably saved that game from being tied up. Sometimes that kind of shit just goes against you. And the Orioles right now and this season have been really good. But they've, there's also some some good fortune. They haven't had to deal with that much in the way of injuries. Their bullpen largely has been really good. Felix Bautista is the best reliever in the league. That really helps. Uh, they're 66 and 41. They're 20 and 10 in one run games. And the Blue Jays are 17 and 13, which is very good. And the rest of the division, Rays are 15 and 19. Red Sox are 14 and 18. Yankees are 12 and 17. 
like to have that level where you're winning two thirds of one run games, that's a huge difference maker that can allow you to go 66 and 41. They're 23 and 13 against the AL East. The Rays are 20 and 13. The Jays are seven and 22 Yankees, 14 and 21 Red Sox are 16 and 11. It's, it's very difficult right now. They're the Jays just, do not seem to play their best against teams within the division for whatever reason. You know, even though they've racked up a ton of wins against other teams, they haven't overwhelmed anyone, but they've done enough and they've played uh, well enough to rack up and and pick up and, and take care of business against other teams. But, you know, it's just, I, I really don't even know what to say about it anymore. Uh, it's just a, completely confounding lack of results and success against teams in your division. And they got the Red Sox this weekend at Fenway Park, which even when they've had success in the past, it's always a worrisome place to play. A lot of weird stuff can happen. Crazy games seem to emerge. Runs are scored at a huge clip. Usually no lead is safe. And the Red Sox are playing pretty good baseball. They didn't do anything really at the deadline. And, you know, I'm sure their fan base is is up in arms o- over that. But they've had the Blue Jays number this year the same way that the Jays had their number last year. And the same way that the Red Sox season was torpedoed by a lack of success against the Blue Jays last year. Right now that the Blue Jays haven't had the level of success in part because of a lack of of success against the AL East and particularly against the Red Sox. You know, they're they're 0 and 7 against the Red Sox. It's completely flipped on its head from last year. And there's no real reason that they shouldn't be able to have success against the Red Sox. You you line up both rosters. The the Blue Jays are the better, more talented roster, but you know, sometimes stuff doesn't go the way that you would expect. And so far it hasn't. But you know, there's still time for that to change. But the Jays just have to have some internal improvements. And, you know, I just wanted to jump on here quick and, and give a little bit of a quick recap of the deadline. I, I Like I said, I was a bit underwhelmed. I put it out there on Twitter. A lot of other people were underwhelmed as well. More so, people were like a bit underwhelmed. Like, I don't think it was some disaster. I would have liked to have seen more done. There's more nuance to just oh well it was a disaster they they didn't get enough done I I understand that line of thinking but a lot of the moves that would have been out there I don't think we're going to drastically change the ceiling of this team it all has to come from within and until that changes the rest of it is just window dressing background noise and um, you know. I don't think that any realistic move that you would have made would have changed much if if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. continues to underperform relative to expectations and talent. George Springer continues to hit to a sub-700 OPS for the first time in his career. Bo Bichette's on the shelf. A lot needs to improve and change uh, internally before you can feel any relative degree of confidence that this club is going to you know, put together the run that John Schneider says is coming. Ross Atkins talking about how, you know, there's a lot of optimism internally and a track record of success. And they feel as though that there's more on the bone uh, when it comes to this offense and its ability to perform. Great. I I hope that's true, but we're well past a hundred games. We're into August and that hasn't happened yet. So 
like are how are we just going to be old and gray when it eventually does happen is it going to happen this season time will tell but so far it hasn't and there's not a lot that you can hang on to and say oh well it's going to happen it's coming you know the dam is going to burst you look at the runners and scoring position issues that's happened all season unlike last year where it was two months and then the dam burst and then they the the luck changed the sequencing was good etc 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 and they were one of the better offensive teams with runners and scoring position down the stretch that hasn't happened yet and maybe it does because baseball is strange and uh things can just turn on a dime often but uh until it does the blue jays are going to continue to be in these nip and tuck scratch and claw type of games and uh, they're going to be hard pressed to rack up the number of wins and have the success that they need to have against teams like baltimore and boston to solidify their standing in the playoff picture as always appreciate the interaction on twitter at dfa underscore pod at jay goldberg 12 just a little quick one we'll be back after the weekend to recap the final two games of the Orioles series and uh, the three game set at Fenway park, as always, thanks for listening. Designated for assignment is available wherever you get your podcast, like rate review, comment, subscribe. I appreciate it. As always, I'm Josh Goldberg. Thanks as always for listening. And we'll talk to you in a couple of days here on designated for assignment. Mm-hmm.